So we've been in Philippians chapter 1, and last week I didn't quite finish what I was doing, um, but uh, I, I did intend to come back this week and, and kind of wrap it up and tie these two things together. But let me read from the beginning here of uh, chapter 1, verse 27 and following. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me pick it up in my Bible here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God." And this is where we're getting today. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So what we're talking about here is the Apostle Paul is, is finally kind of turned to them. He said, for me to live and, and, and uh, to live as Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, this is, this is how I live. This is the ethic of my life. This is what I'm doing. He turns to them and he says, I want you to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. I want you to live this life. So now he's pointing the finger at us a little bit and he's saying, I want you to think about the gospel and to operate, make your operating principle of your life uh, about the gospel. So live in light of the gospel, he says. And so we walked all the way through that. And then towards the end of that, he said, he said in verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So he's talking about people who are after them, that want to kill them, that want to persecute them, that want to bring them down. And he's telling them, I don't want you to be frightened in them if you have this ethic, which is, you know what, I'd love to go home and be with Jesus because I like Jesus and I want to be with him. And so to die would really be gain, but really I want to live and so that I can serve other people for Jesus in and through Jesus. And so he says, when you have that life ethic, what can happen is this, is that you don't have to be frightened by anything that your opponents throw at you. You don't have to be frightened about that. And he says something that's interesting, which is, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Whew. He, he said, you know, when you walk into these situations, when you're threatened with persecution, when you're somebody who is up against uh, whatever the world would throw at you, and it's not frightening you, do you know what it does to our opponents? Now, who are our opponents? Well, it, it'd be anything that is against the gospel. It'd be, it, would be, it, it may be people. Now, the, the, the uh, scriptures clearly teach that we're to act lovingly and graciously towards those people. Christians haven't done a good job of that. You know the little Jesus fish that's like, you know, eating the Darwin fish or, you know, what, I don't know, whatever it is. But, you know, it's just, it's not kind. It's essentially saying, I want to pound you. You know, I just, like, it's just like, what would Jesus do? I don't know that he would do that exactly. But, so Christians don't often respond in that way. So we need to be responding in a gracious way. But what this is saying is that when your opponents are after you and yet you respond in a way that's not being frightened by it. I'm not scared by it. I'm not worried about it because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so therefore, I don't have to worry about the outcome of this situation, whether I lose my job or I lose this or that or, or whatever in life 
Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter, but it's a clear sign to them of what? Their destruction. It's a clear sign to them, whether they know it or not, that hell is real. That eternal damnation is a real thing. We don't talk about that too much here at Outward Church. Um, it's not because we're afraid of it, but it's because we believe that there's lots of things to talk about of which that is one. But what happens when you're in the face of danger, when you're in situations like this and, you're, and, you're, and you, you experience opposition, and yet you're not fearful. You're not fearful about what could happen to you. You don't have to go out and create a lawsuit and sue the pants off your employer because they're discriminating against you or the things that you're going to lose. I'm not saying that you uh, shouldn't do something like that. That should be done prayerfully. But you don't have to be afraid of it. You don't, you don't have to be afraid of speaking the truth in a loving way in your job. Increasingly, this will come about. Increasingly, this will take place. The uh, judge in our town, uh, Judge uh, Vance Day, has recently, or not recently, I guess it's been within the last two years, I think, got removed from his post because he decided that he wasn't going to do same-sex weddings. And so um, instead of just not doing uh, same-sex weddings, he decided not to do any weddings. And so he backed out of that. And so um, right, I don't know all the details of everything that's going on there, but he has stood firm in just saying, this is my belief and this is who I am. And my hope is that Judge Vance Day is saying, you know what, you can take my job, you can defame me in this world, and yet I'm standing strong for Christ because standing for Christ matters more to me. And what uh, could be happening in their life is that they, they see this guy who's standing in the face of danger. He's standing in the face of persecution, and, and he's saying, it's okay, it's okay. My hope is that Judge Vance Day is saying, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, so you can take whatever you want. And it's okay. But it's a clear sign to them of their destruction. Now, why, why would that even be a good thing? Why would that be a good thing? Well, you can't desire salvation without understanding the bad news. You can't understand the good news without understanding the bad news. The bad news is that I'm alienated from God. I am on a highway toward hell, literally. I am somebody who is uh, apart from the promises of God. I am somebody who is not reconciled with my Creator. There's something wrong in me. I don't understand my purpose. I don't understand what life is about. And so I'm, I'm on this path, and I, and I feel this impending danger. And so, therefore, then you come to this point where you say, okay, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And that is the only point at which you can receive Jesus is when you're understanding, I have sin, there is wrath impending on my life, I am on the way, the highway toward destruction, towards eternal damnation, and so I need a Savior, and that is Jesus. That's the, that's the only way that that happens. So in essence, it is a good thing, and yet we don't do it ungraciously and say, you're going to hell, you rotten sinner, or something like that. No, it is showing our world through the fact that I'm being persecuted, and yet I don't respond in anger. It is showing our world that I'm willing to suffer for the sake of Christ and for the sake of them. It's laying down my rights. It's choosing not to enter into the argument. 
It's saying, I'm, I'm not going to engage in this because I, I want people to be able to see that Christ is the ethic of my life. That's what that's saying. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. So Paul just said that it's a sign to them of their, where they're going, but it's also a sign to you of your salvation. And so he is telling you and I that there is a proof in there. There's a proof when you're able to stand in front of a, an opponent to graciously and lovingly receive persecution, to not back down from what you believe, to stand firm in where you're at, and, 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 and there's proof in that that you are, in fact, saved. It's a proof of your salvation. It's a proof that you're walking with Jesus. And guess what? And that proof is from God. So he's going to expand on that in verse 29. For it has been granted to you. Now, the, the word granted, uh, granted to you, if you were to look at the, the meaning there, it means for it has been graciously bestowed to you. It has been given graciously to you. It's been lavished on you. It's, you, you've been blessed by something that you've received. You've been blessed by receiving this thing from God. For it has been bestowed graciously upon your life and upon my life, if you're in fact truly a believer in Jesus Christ, like this is what's true, okay? What is true? It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. See, it's, the beginning is about, it's about the sake of Christ, and the end is about the sake of Christ. It's all about Christ. But he says there's two things that are really important here. Two things that are incredibly important. It's been graciously bestowed on you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but suffer for His sake. Believing and suffering. Have you, have you ever thought about that? God's grace is extended to you, not just in believing in Him, but in suffering for Him. See, here's, here's the problem. The problem is that Christian people often believe that they caused their salvation. And that if God loves them enough, then he will keep them from suffering. It's as if to say, hey God, I believed in you, and so uh, I'm just expecting that you're going to keep me out of suffering. Or to run to God and say, I want to... I, I'm, I'm trying to get out of suffering, and so I want to run to you, God, in order to keep myself from suffering. Um, there may be some truth to that, but what we don't realize is this, is that my ability to believe and trust in God does not ultimately come from me. It does not ultimately come from my ability to trust in God. Why? 
Why, why is that important? The, the faith that it takes for me to, to say yes to Jesus, the faith that it takes to put hope in, in God through Jesus Christ, that ability to trust him, to look at Jesus on the cross through his death, burial, resurrection, to look at that event and to say, to say, yes, I trust that he is the son of God and I want to give my life to him. That ability, where that comes from in my heart and in my life does not originate with me. It did not start with me. It started with, with God from first to last. God is the one who executes faith in my life. Key verse, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And we like that part, that it's through faith that I've been saved. But then we forget about this part, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What is not your own doing? Your faith. Your faith to believe in God. And so what does this mean? It means I can't go to God, and you can't go to God, and we can't go to God and say, God, hey, <laughs> uh, you ought to be real happy with me because I trusted in you. It's as though he's a politician and we go to him. We're some massive corporation. We gave you a little, a little bit of money uh, for the campaign. Now you better pay up and do what I want you to do. And God's like, oh, no, you didn't. All right. That was not yours. You didn't do it. It was me beckoning you, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so where do Christians begin in the Christian life? Not with like, hey, God, I'm here. You got to be happy with me because I decided that I'm going to be a moral person. I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be an arrogant Christian punk. And so, uh, you know, you, you should enjoy that. No, that's where arrogance comes in, in the Christian church. That somehow I'm above everyone else because I go to church. Because I decided to be a Christian or, or, or something like that. But really, it's humility from the word go. Because it begins with an understanding that I am on the road to destruction. I am lost without Jesus. I have no way of getting to him. And somehow, God beckons me. I don't know if you've heard testimonies before. I don't know why I started uh, to believe. I just did. All of a sudden, I woke up in this moment and I was like... I believe that there's a God and I want to follow him. And so they go to a church and someone tells them about the gospel. They hear the good news and they say yes to Jesus. And they begin to walk with him. Somehow something is drawing them. I think about my own life. And I think, God, I just, I just don't feel like there's any reason like why I should be following you. I just... I, I don't feel like I have it in me to keep trusting you. I don't, it's, not, it's not me that's doing it. I feel like, God, you are driving me to you. It doesn't mean that I don't participate with that. We'll get to that. There's more scripture on this. But it means like there's some type of thing in my life, there's some type of thing in my heart that is drawing me to God and causing me to want to be with him. And it is God who is working in me. It is God who is working in me. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What's God's purpose in saving you 
apart from yourself. What's God's purpose in that? Well, I think it's really clear. It's not something that you did. It's not a result of works. It's so that there's absolutely no foundation for you to be able to boast in the fact that you're a believer. The only thing that can happen is for you to say that God saved me. God saved me. He, man, he, he came into my life and he, he, he beckoned me toward him. He just, he just kept calling me to him. He just kept calling me to him. He kept drawing me in. He kept drawing me to himself. And that's one of the greatest testimonies that ever was. It's God's work in my life. Paul's own ministry in Philippi was started, and uh, you see the story of it in Acts chapter 16, where Paul goes to this, this place. It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And listen to this sentence. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She believes and she's the first convert. We believe in that church. But what had to happen in Lydia's life is that the Lord had to open her heart. Salvation is from God and He graciously bestows upon us the faith to be able to hope in Him. Have you ever thought about that before? It is not yours. It is what God gave you. You don't have a leg to stand on. You don't got any change in your pocket to pay God off. You don't have anything. It is completely by the grace of God from first to last that you are His. John 3 says, uh, you know, a, a similar thing. Where Nicodemus comes comes to Jesus and says, we know, we know that you're from God, otherwise you couldn't do all of these signs and wonders. And Jesus begins to explain to this guy, listen, you can't be in the kingdom of God unless God does a work in you. You can't be in the kingdom of God unless God does a work in you through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit has to be the one that's working in your life. And so beyond you trying with all of this effort, and I'm not saying that trying is wrong, but I'm saying ultimately what has to happen is that God has to be the one that opens your heart. God has to be the one that gives you faith. God has to be the one through the power of the Spirit of God to change your heart. So here's the response to that, that people that disagree theologically. Well, then how, do, how does anybody get saved? How, you know, what, like, if that's the case, if that's, if that's God's work, then, then how does anybody come to faith in God? How does anybody come to faith? Well, God is the one that's working in their life, and he clearly tells us that he has called people to himself. And so we know that people will be called to him. And so here's the thing. When you have a friend that doesn't know Jesus, 
Perhaps their life is falling apart or things are not going well for them or whatever, and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're saying, Lord, would you work in their life? Would you save them? What you're asking for is that God would overcome the will of that person. You're asking God to overcome the will of that person, to essentially take them a captive and say, force them to love you, God. You can't pray that prayer you can't ask God to work in someone's life unless you first believe that God can move on someone's life. That God can call someone to himself. And so what's our responsibility with this? It is to act humbly when it comes to our salvation. And to understand that this humility should be something that propels in us this this gratitude for what he's done in our life. So the first thing is that it is graciously bestowed upon us, not just the fact that we believe, but also that we should suffer for his sake. Not just that we should believe, that we should suffer for his sake. Now, that does not sound like a good offer. I'll I'll be honest with you. I mean, like, there's, like, risk-reward issue there. Like, I mean, like, I want to be saved, but do I want to suffer? Like, like, I'm not sure that I want to engage with that idea. But suffering is important. Suffering is incredibly important. I've been watching this show um, uh, on, uh, I don't know, like CNBC. Uh, I know that sounds exciting, but... um, uh, CNBC, and it's called The Prophet. And so, and it's this, this guy, and he goes to these businesses that are just about to fail. They're like days away from bankruptcy. And he goes in, and he uh, talks with these business owners, and he finds out what the issues are, and he decides whether he can, he can help them out by, you know, investing in their business and, you know, becoming a shareholder and, 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 and a part owner with them. But what's so interesting about it is that some of these business owners, like, their life is so it's just so jacked up. Like you, you walk in and you can see what the problem is. Normally the problem is a desire for control. So there's a leader there and he can't let go of anything or she can't let go of anything. She has to be in control of all of the inner workings of, of everything. But, and they've been operating this way for some time. They've been living life, they've, been, they've had this business, but they come to a point where life is unmanageable, and the business is about to close, and they're on the brink of bankruptcy, and so what takes place? They finally call out for help, and they say, okay, somebody come help me. And so they call this guy in, and he comes in, and he begins to tell them the truth. He begins to say, hey, listen, like you're controlling everything, and your business is being stifled because you will not let anybody do anything around you. And so they begin to hear him. And so you can see over and over and over and over again that the way to understanding, that the way to real change in those situations and also in our daily life situations is actually, and I, I, th- I don't think I'm far off by saying, like only through suffering. Like I don't think it happens really in significant ways until we have actually been been suffering in life. Until we've been suffering to such a degree that we say, okay, fine, I'll let it go. Okay, fine, somebody come tell me what's wrong. Okay, fine, God, I will do this. And here's the thing, we were created this way. 
We were created this way, the fall comes in, and as a result, we have this idea that I don't need God, I can do this on my own. And God is continually, graciously taking that from us. He's continually and graciously taking from us the desire to do things on our own, the desire to make things happen on our own. He wants you and I to get to a point where we say, I cannot do it any longer. Somebody has got to help me. And so God uses suffering in a significant way in our lives to change us. One of my professors said this last week. He said, truth sits on the surface of our life until pain opens up a chasm and drops truth in. I think, like my whole ministry, like the whole time that I've been in, in ministry, ha- has really been about that. Like I told a story, and I got kind of weepy, and everybody made fun of me because I was crying a few weeks ago. I'm not going to do that this week, but um, that's the quickest way to do that, by the way. But um, uh, in, in, in my own life, Growing up in a Christian home, rejecting that for a time and going off in my, on my own way, not really even rejecting God, but just rejecting the life of God, rejecting morality, really, because I didn't really understand who Jesus was. And so I go out on my own, but I, I can, continually came to this dead-end road. I was talking about, you know, life and business for me. But life relationally was falling apart. My family of origin was falling apart. My girlfriend of five years had broken up with me. And I, I was at this point where I was, I, was, I was suffering relationally. I saw my sin in front of me. In fact, I took my uh, 357 to a buddy of mine and said, I don't think I should have this right now because I'm so concerned because I see my sin so much in front of my eyes that I, I, I feel like I could be close to suicide because I'm, 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 my heart is broken for what I've been doing. I'm starting to tear up right now. I told you I wasn't going to, but... Truth was sitting on the surface of my life and it could not get to my heart and make a difference in my life because it was just sitting there. There had been no practical implication. There had, there had been no practical way to put the life of Christ into Matt Porter. There was no way for that to work its way into who I am and to come out in everything that I'm doing because I was so intent on living life the way that I wanted to and God who is rich in mercy, made me alive with Christ by bringing me down to my knees and saying, you will not be fulfilled with these things. See, truth sits on the surface of our life until pain and suffering comes in and drops truth in. So in one sense, okay, God is the author of our faith from first to last. I can take no credit for it. He's also the author of our suffering. He allows it. He, he enables it. And all of us agree that change 
Good things come out of suffering. I've seen it in my own life. And it begins with how we believe in the first place. Suffering in order to believe. Suffering in order to be able to come to God. I have to be at my wit's end. You may be sitting here saying, my Christianity has never meant anything to me. It's, I, I have grown up in the church. Or I prayed a prayer at some point. I walked an aisle. I did something like this. Guess what? Suffering has not touched your life in such a way that it is actually changing you. And perhaps you've been spending all of your time and all of your effort trying to kill suffering through addictions, through money, through hobbies. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, that's what... I mean, just take, you know, opioid addiction. You say, if I stay high long enough, I don't have to think about that brokenness. I don't have to think about that suffering. I don't have to think about, about what was done to me. I'm not saying that God wanted that to, take, to happen to you, by the way. It's a whole other story on the sovereignty of God, and we can, we can go there. But still, God uses that brokenness. But if you keep killing it, if you keep walking away from it, if you keep trying to deaden the pain to just another relationship or another hobby or a new job or another drug, you just never get there. You just never get there. But when you see that suffering is a good gift from God, that his favor is shown to you through your own suffering, that is when we can get some traction. So there's suffering in order to believe, but then there's suffering as a result of belief. So once we believe, what happens? Well, in Paul's day, and in many countries today, when you become a Christian, like it's, it could be a death sentence. You know, everyone around Paul is saying, Caesar is Lord, and Paul is saying that Jesus is Lord. In other countries today, they're saying that there is no God but Allah, that this is the only way and you will be killed if you take on a new religion, if you walk away from this. I read a story about a guy who was um, put up on charges of apostasy because he walked away from Islam. That, that's, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. The, the, there's the suffering as a, the result of belief. See, there's the suffering in order to believe, and then there's the, or, or even to believe more deeply, uh, but then there's the suffering that happens as a result of belief. Like when I am believing deeply in Jesus, it's not just that God got me to suffer so that I'd come to him. It's that God uh, uh, still allows suffering and that this is further proof of my salvation. It's further proof that I walk with Jesus, that I have faith in him. It's further proof that I don't live by my own ethic. I, like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's my ethic. And so that's, that's what begins to happen. And so you may be persecuted literally by, by the government. You may be, your life may be threatened. That doesn't happen as frequently here in the U.S. Certainly there is, there is a level of secularism that's rolling in our world today. 
and it's becoming uh, very opposed to Christianity and where we stand. But less and less are we having that necessarily, and maybe I should say more and more, it's growing. It's just not as bad as it is in other places. And so where is our suffering? Because as it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Paul tells Timothy, he says, everyone who's going to live a godly life is going to experience persecution. And Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 5.11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, like, suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. It is deeply ingrained in who we are from the beginning of our Christian life all the way through. In order to grow, it takes suffering. In order to witness for Jesus, it takes suffering. It's ingrained in who we are. It's a part of our life. And so where is our suffering? Our, our suffering comes in the life that we live the godly life that we live. Do you know what, you know what suffering is? Suffering is foregoing the things of this world for the sake of Christ. It's saying, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I believe in an ultimate eternity in the kingdom of God with Jesus. And that this place will be perfect. It will be more real than this feels. It's the ultimate reality that will be revealed when Jesus returns. And those who are his will be with him. And so that means that if my reality right now doesn't seem to measure up to that ultimate reality, and so therefore I don't have the things that I want. I don't have a spouse yet. I don't have the things in life that I want. And so I've got to go after those. I've got to go after those. I've got to go after those. So instead of saying that, what has to happen? What has to take place? It's saying, I believe so deeply in who Jesus is that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that I want to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that, because of that, I'm willing to say that my faith came from God and this suffering, this burden of lack in my life that I feel is okay because it can be from God. Like God could be allowing this in my life. And in fact, if the other option is to go against God and to marry somebody I shouldn't be married to or, or to engage in something I shouldn't be engaged with or to set aside my family for, for business or to fill in the blank there, like, the suffering comes in foregoing all of those other things and say, saying, I am about Christ, I am for Christ, I am His and He is mine. Like, Christ is better than that desire being fulfilled. Christ is better. Christ is all 
And when we suffer for His sake, what happens as a result? When we suffer for righteousness' sake, when we suffer in front of other people and, and endure the ridicule of saying, you bigot, you hypocrite, you whatever, when we endure that calmly, we don't throw the punch back. We can say, truly, this is from God and this is good. You know why? Because when they see that I'm not frightened of them, when I sense I'm not scared of this, I'm not worried about this, I have a peace. I mean, there may be worrisome situations. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I don't know how this is going to work. That may be worrisome. But when they see that there is this peace that's kind of resonating from me, they're going to say, you know what? I'm not sure about where I stand with this God. They may not come out and say it. But they're going to see it, and you're going to have great assurance that you walk with Jesus. Are you suffering for Christ's sake? And if you're suffering, are you blaming God or are you thanking Him for the opportunity? See, suffering brings about great things in our lives. Some suffering is really difficult. Some of you are in here and you're saying, Matt, you have no idea what I've been through. How dare you even say that? And I would just say this, you're right, I don't know. I haven't been there. I'm not sure exactly what's, what has gone on in your life, but I know that Jesus wants to heal that and wants to love you, and there's a church that wants to come around you and, and show you great grace, and perhaps God's ultimate purpose is for you to experience the grace and the love of Jesus in spite of the egregious sin that's happened to you. But are we people that are thanking God for his favor in and through the suffering? Are we cowering in the conversations about who Jesus is because we don't want to rock the boat? Have we been thinking that my faith is all of me? And God, if you love me, you'll keep me from suffering because those, both of those are not true. Paul wants us to think rightly about who Jesus is and what he's done. I wonder where you're at. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I want to thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. Lord, I think there's many of us in this room that have opted to, to not suffer. We've opted to not deal with suffering. Lord, there's, we're, we live in America. There's lots of money here. There's lots of ways that we can kill the pain of suffering so that we don't feel like we need you. But Lord, I pray right now that you would enable us to endure the suffering that you allow in our lives, that you would enable us uh, to be able to look to you in those circumstances, and Lord, that you would allow us to walk in, in faith Lord, to be an example to the folks around us that we are people that love Jesus and that we want to walk with him. So, Lord, we ask you for this in your name we pray. Amen.